welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We're just so thankful for your people. Thank you for Chad and Brickley and their family and just for all the people you've brought our way as we've been at church and as we've done ministry together and as people move on and they, they move out of town or they go other places, Lord, we're just uh, thankful to be a part of each other's lives for this time. And we're super thankful, Lord, for the reunion that we have in, in the resurrection and the reunion we're going to have in the world to come. And we're going to see all the works that you've done through your people and just marvel at it. And we're just looking forward to that. And we're thankful, Lord, that you've not only saved us individually, but you've made us a family. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, as we open your word, that you would speak to us in a powerful way. We want to just know, Lord, as we leave, that we have met with you, the living God, that we have been in your presence, we had heard from you, and we've been changed by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Christmas is coming very soon. We've got one more week of Advent after this. So this is the third week of Advent. There'll be one more. And so far, we've seen that Christmas is a gift first week was of a true story in our confusion, that Christmas is a true story in, as a gift in our confusion. And then the second week we saw that Christmas is a promise in our waiting. And tonight we're going to see that Christmas is a gift of God's presence in our isolation. So you've got a very 2020 theme there, right? You've got confusion, waiting, and isolation, right? And Advent is really the perfect kind of time to round out a difficult year. Last week, we saw that the angel Gabriel went to uh, Zechariah and uh, announced the birth of John the Baptist. Tonight, we're going to see that the angel Gabriel has news for Mary. Take a look at verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. We can assume from this text that Mary's probably somewhere around 12, 13, 14 years old because she was betrothed to marriage. Betrothal was a, an engagement, but it was a legally binding engagement. The only way to break it would be divorce. And so it was a year-long period that was waiting for the actual marriage. And so she's very young. And we know that Mary here has found favor with God. God's going to give Mary a gift. And we're, tonight we're going to look at what is that gift that Mary's receiving and then how did she receive it? Real simple questions. First one is, what is that gift? Take a look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so you might ask, well, what is the gift that Mary's receiving? Anyone know? Sunday school answer. What is it? Jesus. Okay, good, good. Are you, you guys here? You hear me? Okay. We good? Okay. Jesus, right? Well, we need to be more specific because throughout history, there've been tons of people that people have called Jesus, right? You've got all the different cults have a Jesus. Our culture has a Jesus. There's lots of different uh, ways that people look at Jesus. But the true, real, historical Jesus that we're talking about tonight is both God and man. And we're going to look at that real quick. Um, This child, Jesus, is truly God. Jesus was and is 
fully God himself. He's God the Son. So God is one God. He's eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we have in Jesus is God the Son become a man. If you look at verse 32, you can see that Jesus is called the Son of the Most High. Or in verse 35, he's called the Son of God. He's called Holy. 35 is actually really helpful to understand something about his deity. Take a look at verse 35 and notice the word therefore. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus is holy. He is the Son of God because of the way he was born. He was born through a virgin birth. He came through a virgin conception. Jesus' virgin conception both fulfilled prophecy but it also tells us who he is, okay? It fulfilled prophecies like in Isaiah 7, right? And it says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It fulfilled the promise of Genesis 3.15, that the serpent, Satan, would be crushed by a seed of the woman. Really weird expression, seed of the woman. You know, in ancient times, you wouldn't think of a woman having a seed. It was the man where the seed came from. But that there would be this child that would be born only of a woman, that would crush the head of the serpent. So this fills prophecy, but it also tells you something of who he is. Gabriel here is highlighting that the virgin conception shows us who Jesus is, that Jesus is no mere man. He's holy and he's the son of God because he was born by a virgin conception. That was the way the son of God was able to become a man and still retain his divinity. You see that in the word therefore there in verse 35. And you can see all three persons of the Trinity. Take a look at it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, that would be the Father, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You have Jesus. You have all three persons of the Trinity there. And what this passage is saying is that by virtue of the way he came into the world, it shows that he is the Son of God, that he is holy, that he is God the Son. And Luke goes on in his gospel to show again and again that Jesus is God. You see him forgiving sins, and the people are like, who can forgive sins except God alone, right? So Luke's making very clear Jesus' identity. Later, he receives worship, right? People bow down to him. And unlike the angel in Revelation says, no, no, don't do that. Jesus receives it calmly. He receives that worship. So he forgives sins. He receives worship. And he receives all kinds of honors in the gospel of Luke that don't belong to anybody but God. And so this baby that Mary would lay in a manger is actually God himself. The fourth century African Bishop Augustine said it this way. Man's maker was made man that he ruler of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of falsehood, the teacher beaten with whips, the foundation suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. That Jesus is God himself. And yet, Jesus is also truly human. He was and is truly human. That's something that people don't really realize. They think that he became a man for a while and he's not human now. We see in Colossians that it says, present tense, that all the fullness of deity currently dwells in bodily form. That Jesus has retained his full humanity. We can see his humanity in verse 33. Gabriel says of Jesus that he's going to be given the throne of his father, David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. That's a fulfillment of an Old Testament promise. You know to who that was promised? It's promised to David. It's a Davidic covenant. Second Samuel seven twelve. 
God promised David that when he died, it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you, one who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne as a kingdom forever. The ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ, the king who reigns forever. Short-term fulfillment was Solomon. Long-term fulfillment though is got to be Jesus. Because only in Jesus could you have a human king born from David's line that reigns forever, right? That's the only way to fulfill that one. And there's no way that Jesus can fulfill that promise unless he's a real human being. The Davidic covenant could only be fulfilled by a real human, somebody that was truly a descendant of David's. So he had to be totally human, and he had to be a man from David's line. So if you were able to go back in time or even now, perhaps, and do a 23andMe on Jesus, do a genetic test on him, you could prove that he was indeed Mary's child, is Mary's DNA. And you could prove from that that he was also David's great, 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 many greats, grandson, right? He's fully human and truly David's son, truly David's offspring. So Jesus was and is truly man. And Jesus didn't just have a human body. I think sometimes we think that, you know, he's God in a man, right? Jesus didn't just have a human body. Jesus had a human inside and outside. He wasn't just God in a man suit, right? That's often how we think of him. Jesus had and still has real human mind, real human emotions. His spirit is human, okay? He's both God and man. He, as Nacho Libre would say, was human all the way down to his nucleus, okay? And if you haven't seen that one, I don't, you know, take care of that immediately. <laughs> Jesus is the only way that that promise of the Davidic covenant could have been fulfilled. I mean, think about it, a human king that reigns forever. Isaiah 9 also talks about this. And I think this will be good news to you right now. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then listen to this good news. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. It says that his government will increase and have no end. The increase of his government and peace will have no end. And I, know, I don't know what your politics are, but that's big government. We can all be really happy about that. Jesus's government is right now expanding. His kingdom is growing. His kingdom came in his first coming. His kingdom will fully come when he returns again. But in this time right now, his government and his kingdom is expanding for those that have the eyes to see. You talk to a lot of Christians right now and they think somehow that the kingdom of God has been sidetracked or, you know, left or declined. That's not the case. Jesus' kingdom only grows for those who have the eyes to see. His government and his peace grow without end. And then one day he comes and he establishes it permanently here. He makes the world new. He reigns as the human king over this earth. Does that sound awesome? To have this world made new, all sin removed, all death removed, and then have Jesus be the king, the very physical present king, of this place and all things happening according to his will and his decrees. That's what we're looking forward to. It's awesome, huh? That's what he's born to do. You guys realize that when you hear a lot of the Christmas songs and you read a lot of the Christmas passages, 
almost all of them are like linked to the Davidic covenant. They're linked to a king that would come and make all things new. The theological term for Jesus being both God and man is the hypostatic union. And what that means is Jesus is one person with two natures. So he's got a divine nature. He's got a human nature, but he's one person. He's not split personalities, one person, two natures. And that turns out to be really important, not just for who he is, but what he does. He actually had to be both God and man to do what he needed to do for us. In verse 31, we see his name is Jesus. That means Yahweh saves. And he had to be both God and man to do that saving. The Heidelberg Catechism, question number 16, says this, ask this, why must the mediator be true and righteously human? And the answer is, God's justice demands that human nature, which is sin, must pay for sin. But a sinful human can never pay for others. The answer there is, is he had to be human because only a human should pay for human sins. And it would have to be a human that was perfectly righteous because only he could pay for sins of other people, right? And so only a human should pay for human sin. That's the answer for why he had to be human. Hodelberg Catechism question 17 says, why must that mediator also be true God? And the answer is, so that the mediator, by the power of his divine might, might bear away the weight of God's wrath in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. The answer is basically, only God could do it. Okay, so Jesus had to be a man because only a man should pay for our sins. But Jesus had to be God because only God could do it. Only man should and only God could. And that's why Jesus came as both God and man. He took on flesh as a human being. And so the way to think about his deity and his humanity is he's eternally been God, God the Son, right? And he took on humanity without losing his deity. So that's what happened. He took on humanity and he kept it which is so interesting. He kept it. He still has it. The book of Hebrews talks about that, that we have a real human mediator in heaven praying for us and being our representative in heaven. He took on humanity to be our savior and he kept humanity to always be linked to us. Isn't that cool? Amazing. And so that's the gift Mary's getting. Mary's getting the gift of being that person's mother. Okay. Elizabeth said of Mary that she's the mother of her Lord. It was Mary's gift to carry in her own body for nine months the God of Israel. The theological term for that is the Theotokos. She was the the God-bearer, right? The one who would carry God within her body for nine months. For that time, Mary was the true temple on earth. Her body was the Holy of Holies, holding Yahweh himself in the world. More the temple than the temple. Isn't that amazing? She had the benefit of being the woman in the first gospel promise. In Genesis 3.15, it says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Mary gets to be that woman in that ancient promise. She had the benefit of having God himself live in her home as a human. I mean, to have that kind of access to God in her home. She had the benefit of getting to raise the savior of the whole world. Okay? So when the ladies were talking around town and bragging about what their sons were up to, They'd be like, Mary, what's your son doing? Saving the world. Okay? And it was literally true. Mary is offered the gift of the presence of God in a way that no one else had. In the most intimate possible way, she got to enjoy the presence of God in her body, in her home, in her family. And so how did she receive that gift? Well, she received that gift the same way we receive. She received that gift of Jesus by belief and surrender. Take a look at her belief. Verse 34, this is how she responds to the angel Gabriel's news. 
Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now that sounds a little bit like Zachariah from last week. You might think, is this doubt? You know, but it's different. Zachariah said, how can I know this? How can I know this will happen? That was Zachariah's question. What's Mary's question? How will it happen? Okay, those are totally different questions, right? Mary's saying, how will this be? Mary's question is not about the certainty of it happening. She's wondering about the mechanism. She's like, I've had seventh grade science class. I know where babies come from. I haven't fulfilled that requirement. How will this be? Okay, very reasonable question, right? And by the way, guys, these ancient people, they were not more likely to believe in the virgin birth than you are. A lot of times we're like, oh, those ancient people, so silly. They believed in stuff like that. Humanity has known where babies come from for a really long time. Okay, this didn't just happen the last hundred years, okay? This is something they figured out real early on. And so she was like, wait, how does this happen? I know you're God. I know you can do anything. How are you going to make this happen? So Mary's question here isn't doubt. It's really what Augustine and Anselm called faith-seeking understanding. God loves that. God loves faith-seeking understanding. She's saying, I believe in you. I just want to know how it works. And God loves that. He loves for us to investigate how it works. How is this going to happen? It's something the Lord loves. And it's so cool because Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but Gabriel gives her one anyway. He goes, you know what? You should go meet up with your, your relative Elizabeth. I've got a surprise for you. She's pregnant, right? It was a sign to her that she didn't even ask for. Gabriel's ultimate answer about how this virgin conception is going to happen is in verse 37. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's actually a really solid answer, guys. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's a great answer. Because if there's a God who made all of this, who made like noses, right? And toes, right? And salamanders and narwhals, which are like unicorn, you know, whales, This is crazy, right? If God made all of this, then anything's possible, right? He can do anything if he made all this. He made you guys. He made people that are so bizarre and so strange, so complicated, right? He can do anything. But guys, if you don't believe there's a God, then you've got a lot of explaining to do. You got to explain where all this came from. And there really isn't a good answer for that apart from God, right? There really isn't a good answer. You can say, well, I believe in evolution. Evolution doesn't explain where the universe came from, okay? That comes way later, okay, in the story. Where did this all come from? You have a lot of explaining to do. A lot more explaining than the virgin birth, okay? You know, I love this quote. This isn't me, but this guy said, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle, I love that, right? I'll read it again. Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. And so here we have Mary, this teenage girl, this peasant girl, and she believes where Zechariah doubts. I love that irony. Like here is a seasoned priest, this guy. If anybody's got faith, it'd be him, right? And this peasant teenage girl has more faith. That's ironic, but it's not uncommon. Mary also, she not only believes, but look at this. She surrenders. Take a look at verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. One of the things this teaches us, guys, is that true faith isn't just intellectual belief. It's whole life surrender. You notice what Mary did here? She didn't just intellectually believe something. She gave whole life surrender. She said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And that's a pretty shocking response, guys. 
It's a pretty shocking response to what she's just been told because she's been offered something amazing, the presence of God, but she's also been offered a whole lot of trouble, hasn't she? A whole lot of trouble. I mean, there's a lot of bad things that could happen to Mary in accepting this assignment. And she does accept this assignment, by the way. The gift of God's presence, guys, does not remove life's problems. Anyone found that to be true? The gift of God's presence does not remove life's problems. There's a lot of people that will tell you, come to Jesus, he'll make everything, you know, wonderful. Everything's going to go great. Your life's going to be perfect. You'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy and everything will be wonderful. Did Jesus ever say that? No, he said the complete opposite. Follow me, I'll make it worse. Okay? He was very upfront about the terms. That's why I think it's a little odd when we come to Jesus and things are worse that we're mad. He was straightforward with it. You know, he said, pick up your cross and follow me. That's an item of execution. He said, if you follow me, everybody's going to hate you. Things are going far better than they should actually, right? According to Jesus's terms. The presence of God does not remove problems. God's presence in Mary could create a whole bunch of new problems. Her fiance, Joseph, could leave her. Her family could disown her. Her city could kill her. Okay? That's the kind of culture this is, right? They're not just going to go like, oh, virgin birth. Oh, yeah. Okay. We believe in those. We're real gullible. No. They're going to be like, get the stones and kill her, right? It's actually quite amazing that that didn't happen to her. God protected her. And then there's that special burden that she would have of knowing that her son came to die for her people and that she would see that miserable death. In the next chapter, Simeon says, a sword will pierce your own soul also. There's going to be special burdens for her bearing the Messiah. And I'll just tell you tonight that if you believe and surrender your life to the Lord, like Mary, you're going to bear the Messiah. You're going to carry the Messiah too. Um, Paul put it this way, that the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That by the Holy Spirit, Christ will reside within you if you trust him as your savior. You too will be a theotokos, not the original one, but in a a manner you will be because you will have Christ in you. And like Mary, that's going to cause you a whole lot of trouble. (laughs) Having Jesus in your life is going to shake things up. Jesus promised that. The gift of God's presence doesn't remove life's problems. His presence can make things worse. It can increase your troubles, right? But notice with Mary, it's worth it. It's worth it to have Jesus. Wouldn't you guys say that? It's worth any troubles you have to have Jesus. You're like, oh yeah, it did. It made things crazy. I had family members that were not happy about this. I had coworkers that were not pleased, right? I had all kinds of spiritual attacks come upon me that I didn't even understand, right? And it was worth it. It was worth it to know Jesus. For Mary, it was worth it. It was worth it to have a face on God, finally. She had a face to God. She she no longer knew God in just some vague, distant way. She knew him as a person right in front of him. It's an amazing gift. She had the most intimate view of Jesus possible. That's why Elizabeth said, you're "You're the most blessed of women. And she said, all generations are going to call me blessed. But guys, doesn't the gospel promise that too? Doesn't the gospel promise us that we would know God in a way that's no longer vague and fuzzy, but that we would know him with a face, right? Paul said it that way. He said, for God who says, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For those of you who know Jesus, you know God in a way you didn't know him before. You know him in, in a way that's not vague and distant. You know him as the person, Jesus That's an amazing blessing, guys. It's an amazing blessing to not have God be a a vague, shadowy figure. You know God. 
You know exactly what he's like. You know how he'd react in normal life circumstances because all you have to do is look at Jesus and the Gospels. And you can see that's exactly what God's like. I think some of you guys think that, you know, you look at Jesus in the gospel and you're like, well, that's the friendlier version. No, that's exactly what God's like. God is exactly like Jesus Christ. This isn't just him on his better day. This is his full character exposed for you to see. You know exactly what God is like because you've seen him in Jesus Christ. And when you see him in Jesus Christ, you know that God is 100% for you. He's 100% for you. He's made it possible for you to be adopted by the Father. He loves you. And I'll tell you what that's called. That's called being blessed. It says here that Mary was blessed. If you've received Jesus Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed beyond understanding. You're blessed beyond anything you understand. We throw around that word blessed, right? I'm hashtag blessed, you know? So the New Testament uses the word blessed 112 times and never does it refer to material blessings right? You are hashtag blessed, okay? No matter what your material situation is, no matter what your physical situation is, no matter what your relationship situations are, you're blessed. And just see what Mary says. She says in verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. She's teaching us guys something about what true faith is. It's not just intellectual belief. It's, it's a trusting with your whole life. It's a whole life surrender. And that makes sense because Jesus isn't just a savior. He's a king and you receive him as both, right? You receive him as your savior and your king. You, you believe in him and you surrender, right? It's just crazy to me. And I think it should be crazy to us that, that we could somehow trust Jesus for our eternal well-being and not trust him for the here and now. Like, oh yeah, you know, I totally believe that like for billions of years, you've got me but I'm going to take care of myself here, right? That doesn't make sense, does it? If we trust him for our eternal saying, we should trust him now. We should trust him in everything he commands, right? In all of his commands, we should go like, I bet this is the best way to go because Jesus said it was. He's the smartest person ever and he loves me and he's the king and I should listen to him and I, I bet he knows better than I do, right? In every command, that should be our response. We should trust him in every hardship he sends us, Right? That one's a little harder, right? But every health challenge, every financial challenge, every uh, relational challenge, we should trust him, right? Our hearts should be like Mary's, this teenage kid. And she says, I'm your servant, do whatever you want, right? I'm your servant, let it be to me according to your word. Chesterton's been quoted as saying this, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble right? (laughs) They would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Mary here is a a wonderful example here of fearless and happy and willing to take the trouble to have Jesus. Are you? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Notice that Mary, it's not a sad surrender either. It's not like, well, I am your servant. (sighs) What does she do? She sings. It's a musical. And it's starting in verse 46. It's a song. She's like, I have a song about it, you know? And she sings this. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he has done mighty things for me. Holy is his name. 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This girl's too much, right? I mean, she's like 12. She's like, do whatever you want, Lord, I'm in. And then she sings about it. She's like, I might lose my fiance. I might lose my family. I might lose my life. And I'm going to sing the whole way because Jesus is better. Is Jesus not better? Did you guys arrive with something that you had in your heart that was better than Jesus Christ? If you did, you're, you're going to leave without that thing, right? Because I think God's shown you that Jesus is better. He's better. And guys, one last thing I want to mention to you just by way of application is if you're a Christian tonight, You have the blessing and honor of bearing the Messiah wherever you go. You have, in a way similar to Mary, the blessing of bearing the Messiah wherever you go. You are a theotokos. God will lead you to bear the Messiah into very rough places, right? And they might be rough personal places, rough financial health relationship places, might be rough places, rough other places, you know, places like Lorian's gone out to or Holly's gone out to. Uh, Those rough places might be in your family. They might be in your neighborhood. They might be in your workplace. They might be here in this church family. I mean, there's people in here that are in rough places, and your calling is to bear the Messiah in their lives. I want to say to you guys tonight, don't assume that the people in our church that you haven't seen for a while are fine. You know? Think back to February, if you can, and think about the people that you knew in February and you haven't seen them in a long time, don't assume they're fine. It might be your role to bear the Messiah in their lives. Um, your neighbors, they need the Messiah. You carry him. You're not the Messiah, but you're, you're the bearer of him. You're the way that he's transported around in this world. We have such an awesome calling, guys. Jesus is a gift of God's presence in this world of isolation, and you're his delivery method. You're his delivery method for bringing Jesus into the world. That's an amazing calling. That's something we can sing about, right? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this this woman, Mary, this girl, Mary, and what you did in her life and how you gave her such great faith. And we're just thankful that we, no matter how old we are, we can learn from this kid. This is amazing. We're thankful for her faith. Lord, please make us more like that. Lord, help us to see the gift of Jesus in a way that causes us so much joy that we're willing to take whatever trouble to display your son in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we eat and drink to the King, King Jesus and his kingdom. It's a kingdom that Jesus, the God-man, purchased for us with his own body and blood. And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, if he's your Savior and your King, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us. If you came here valuing all sorts of other things besides Jesus, and you've come to a place even tonight when you want him as your Savior and King, we invite you to to take it with us even now as your first act of faith. Let's pray as we receive the Lord's Supper. We thank you, our Father and our God, for the hope this meal gives us, that Jesus will return as a triumphant King, 
that the dead will be raised and that all people will stand before his judgment. Father, we're so thankful that we face that day without fear. For you, our judge, have become our father through this Savior, Jesus. May our lives of service aim from this moment on to be a picture of the beauty of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we would be preparing in our lives to meet you with great joy, holy and blameless in your son, Jesus, washed by his blood. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread first. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of Christ is the bread of heaven and be thankful. Let's take it together. Let's take the cup. Take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of Christ is the cup of salvation. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, Jesus. We are part of his very body. And you fed us with this spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. And we pray, Lord, that you would send us out into this world in peace. And grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.